heckling you on cue, man. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the children come to me, and and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Last week we ended our series on the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. And we did it by looking at Revelation 21. And we were talking about bringing a little new heaven and new earth to this earth. Trying to uh, look at the end of the story, of end of God's story, and and realizing that, that we can bring a little new heaven and new earth to this earth. For me, that's what the prayer, the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer was all about. We are asking God to help us to follow him and to help establish his kingdom here on this earth. Every Sunday, uh, most Sundays, every Sunday, and, most, and so for some of you, most days in your daily prayers, we pray the Lord's Prayer and we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, when we, when we pray that, we're praying for a little new heaven and new earth to be made real on this earth. Because here's the thing. If you're like me, maybe you're not, at some level, I think we all realize that this world is upside down. This world is not the way it should be. There are too many wrongs that are not made right. There's too much hurt, there's too much pain, there's too much heartache. We experience too much loss. We see far too much injustice in this world. And I think we look out at our world and we look at the news, which can be very dangerous. And we wonder, what in the world can I do about it? Is there anything that I can do to change what's going on? There's got to be a better plan. There's got to be some kind of solution. I got to be able to do something about this. Well, come to find out there is. And we get a glimpse of it in Mark 10. Mark 10 is an in-between chapter in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 10 is in between the transfiguration of Jesus and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Jesus. Now, those are some big words and some blah, 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 blah. The transfiguration is when Jesus and three of his disciples go up onto a mountaintop, and Jesus is literally transformed, glowing white. And it's at that moment that these three disciples, they realize that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. And the triumphal entry of Jesus is what we celebrate every Palm Sunday where Jesus rides in on the donkey and all the crowds, they're waving their palm branches and they're, they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna! Which means Savior, means rescue us. 
And we know that this entry into Jerusalem ultimately leads to Jesus' crucifixion. And so Mark 10 is an in-between chapter. It's in between this moment where the disciples realize that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem, which ultimately leads to his crucifixion. And in Mark 10, in essence, Jesus explains to us this upside-down kingdom. Essentially, Jesus reveals to us that God's kingdom, that's both here and now, but yet to come, is totally upside down compared to this world. All the things that we value, all the things that, that, that we think are good, all the things that we hold dear in this life are turned on their head in the kingdom of God. And if we're going to value the things of the kingdom of God, then it's going to require us to live a life that is upside down. Look at our passage from Mark 10. Jesus is teaching. He has a large crowd around him. And this is what the scripture says. You've heard it a few times. People were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. So Jesus has got a large crowd around him, and in this crowd are parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and guardians and all kinds of family members, and they get to Jesus, and, they, and they've got their children with them, and they recognize that Jesus is at least some kind of uh, amazing rabbi, if nothing else. And they want their children to be blessed by Jesus. But as the, the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, they're bringing their children to Jesus, the, as they get there, as they get close to Jesus, the disciples rebuke them. They say, what are you doing? Stop, stop, stop. He can't be bothered. The rabbi, our rabbi can't be bothered by little children. And, and the question, for me at least, I don't know about you, but the question rises to my mind is why? Why are the disciples stopping these children to getting to Jesus. Well, here's the thing. In the ancient Roman world, there was an understood hierarchy of authority and power. At the very top, of course, uh, was Caesar, followed by members of the upper class, including senators. And below them was the low class, made up of commoners in most families. And let's just be, let's be real, there was no middle class. There was the upper class, and there was the lower class. The middle class is a, is, is a relatively, relatively modern thing. But in these, uh, you know, families were led by, by the father with women and slaves below them. The children had no rights in society. Were often treated as commodities or worse. When a child was born out of wedlock, or when a child was born with physical or mental handicap, the father had the right to give that child away or even have that child killed. Children's value was primarily economic as, as workers and as heirs. Not sentimental. Not sentimental. So when Jesus says to his disciples, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's telling his listeners and he's telling us that the, the kingdom of God is, is not like this world. Everyone is valued, even the marginalized, even the ones that, who, that have no value. 
children. He flips the Roman establishment on its head and Jesus essentially says, those who are at the bottom are at the top. Those who are disregarded by society are favored by God. Those who are on the outside are welcomed in the kingdom of God. I think for most of us, I don't know. I don't know if it's the church in America, I don't know. But I think for most of us, we've got this nice, cozy view of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We've got this nice, cozy view of Jesus in our head, especially when it comes to this story. We think, oh, how sweet. Jesus, you know, just grabs the children up, sitting in his lap. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, right? And of course he does. I'm not saying he doesn't. Of course he does. In the back of our church, there's a stained glass window that I think, I believe, depicts this story in Mark 10. It's cute. Jesus has got a little baby in his arms. He's got two other kids sitting by his side. Looks so sweet. Everybody's so peaceful. And, and, and that is okay to think of Jesus in that way. But here's the thing. Jesus was a radical. He was upending everything everyone knew and understood about the world. And we cannot forget that. It's okay to think about Jesus as cozy little Jesus and, you know, holding the kids and all that nice fluffy stuff. That's okay. That's a part of it. But on the other side, he was a radical. This world is not the way the kingdom of God is supposed to be. We see glimpses and we see flashes, but it's not the way that one day it will be. And Jesus was here to remind us of that and to give us those flashes and those glimpses and to tell us how we can live out those flashes and glimpses here on this earth. I don't know how many of you get the daily text devotional uh, in your email every morning. I've sent out the link a few times. Um, it's done by Seedbed, and uh, J.D. Walt is the one that writes it. On Tuesday, uh, I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee, to the New Room Conference that is put on by Seedbed, and, and J.D. leads that, and they put together every year, and I cannot wait to go because God shows up every year and it's just amazing. They're going through the Gospel of Mark in this devotional uh, on the daily text. And he hasn't gotten to Mark 10 because if you, if you follow along, he, he takes it very slowly. It's, he marinates in it. But he has discussed this whole idea of the kingdom of God. And one of the devotions this week really hit on where I'm trying to get with this upside down kingdom. And so I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read to you a chunk of this this text because he said it better than I can. But it's exactly the way that I feel. It's from the, the devotion entitled, wait for it, The End of Christian America. Now listen to, to it before you try to burn me at the stake. And J.D. wrote this. I didn't write this. So you don't like it, you get mad at him. Um, but if you get mad, of it, mad about it, before you do anything about that, I'd like for you to ask yourself why. Why does it, why does it perhaps 
upset you? Why does it make you raw? But again, he wrote it. I didn't. Though I'm sort of endorsing it by reading it. Here we go. There are only two stories. There's the story of the kingdom of God and the story of the world. In the story of the kingdom of God, Jesus is everything and the only thing. In the story of the world, Jesus is many things and he is nothing. The thing we need to keep at the forefront of our mind is until Jesus becomes the center of our devotion, he's just another distraction. When Jesus becomes central in our life, the story of the world recedes into the background. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we happily discover how the world was always supposed to work. Until then, faith is something we salute. Church is a place we go on Sunday, maybe. And life consists in doing everything in our power to make our life work. Building our own little kingdoms and generally justifying whatever seems right in our own eyes. Over the past hundred years or so, we've lived through a period of what I would call, this is JD, not me, what I would call Christian America. In Christian America, everyone was sort of a Christian. It was hard to tell where the world left off and the church began. So seamless was their relationship. Our money didn't say Caesar. It claimed we trusted in God. We pledged allegiance to a flag while declaring our nation was under God. The story of the kingdom of the world as we knew it seemed right down the middle of the fairway of the story of the kingdom of God. In case you missed the memo, Christian America is over. Actually, it's been over for some time now. It's just getting more and more painfully obvious. We now move into an era where we can go in one of three directions. First, we can do everything in our power to rise up and take back Christian America. To try and find our way back to that mythical age when we so... When so many saw the kingdom vision and the American dream as two sides of the same coin. For example, Ten Commandments on the courthouse walls, prayer in schools, and more than just Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday. Or second, we can humble ourselves, pledge our allegiance solely to King Jesus, and do everything we possibly can to be the real church in America. We can recognize it's our calling to declare and demonstrate the beautifully distinctive kingdom of God rather than delegating it to the government. Whose calling is to reg regulate the story of the world according to the will of the world's people. Or three, we can go with the flow. Baptizing the will of the world in the name of God. He goes on to write, well-meaning, good-hearted Christians will go down each of these paths. Which way will you go? Which way will I go? There are three paths here, but only two stories. The story of the kingdom and the story of the world. 
And now JD ends and I begin. There are two stories. The story of the kingdom of God and the story of the world. If we so dared to choose the kingdom of God, to follow the story of the kingdom of God, it will cause us to live an upside down life, at least compared to the world. And that's okay with me. Is it okay with you? And if you deem it okay with you, how about we start this upside down life by looking out for those in our society who are undervalued or have no value at all? Who in our community and in your circle of influence is, who is discriminated by the way that they look? Or the things that they were born with or without? Or the amount of money they do or do not have? How can you be like Jesus and say, let the little children come to me? Ask God to give you eyes to see. And a heart that breaks, literally breaks, for those in our community who are deemed the least. And may God give you insight on how you may meet their needs. Let's not be afraid to turn this world upside down. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we humbly recognize that this world is not the way it should be. There are too many wrongs that are not made right. Too many people that are overlooked, not just by others, but by our, our own selves. People that we drive by, people that we walk by, people that we work with. That we know we're there somewhere in the recesses of our minds, but we don't look at them. We don't acknowledge them. Help us to let all the children come to you. For we are all your children, we are all valued in your eyes. Let us not forget that. Help us to begin to turn this world upside down, to live an upside down life, that we may bring a little heaven and a little earth to this earth. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.